0: There was um, a portion of scripture that was on my heart, impressed upon me during the worship, and I wonder if it might be for someone, so I'm just going to read it. Okay, I could be wrong, but um, I think perhaps this might be something for someone. So, (coughs) do not fret because of (coughs) evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the herbs. (coughs) Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. (coughs) Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. For (coughs) he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. (coughs) And wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger. <coughs> and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Amen. Amen. Apologize for my voice. Um, uh, the two young of our youngest have been not well this week, so we've had nights and days up. (laughs) Um, So uh, normally it's not the speaker who falls asleep in the sermon, but it might be this time. Um, (laughs) So do forgive me. Can we turn to the book of 2 Timothy, please? To Timothy, um, at least when I've been speaking for quite a while, this is a letter from Paul the Apostle to Timothy, the young man who he really brought into the ministry and who he has been mentoring and who he loves um, as, as a son. And he says that at the beginning of the letter. He has a real concern for Timothy. Um, and you can hear the concern for Timothy at the same time as you can hear the concern for the Word of God. You can hear the burden in, in, his, in his voice, as it were, as, as we read the letter. <coughs> we're going to read... Well, let's take it from the beginning of um, chapter 3 to Timothy chapter 3. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led astray by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, For their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me, yes, And all who desire to live godly in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. And really it's that last verse I want to focus on today. Verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, I don't know what version... Be, you're reading. Some of the more modern versions say um, all who desire to live a godly life. Um, the older versions say all do, who desire to live godly. And I prefer that. It's more immediate. It's more moment to moment. Do you know what I mean? Um, we're not sitting, thinking down now, you know, sitting down and ordering my day. Now, how can I be godly today? This will happen. Living godly is a mindset. Do you understand? And so it's more... Is more immediate. So <clears throat> let's just have a look at this little verse. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in G- in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You'll notice that Paul is not trying to sell living godly, is he? <laughs> He's not trying to sell it to anyone. <laughs> um, he assumes that there are people who will who want to live godly. And there are a certain amount of people who do want to live a godly life. And that's a good thing, isn't it? But there are reasons that certain people may want to live or appear godly. And it would be good for us to explore those reasons a little bit. Because (coughs) there's this word desire here. All who desire. What is our desire? What is our desire in life? Do we desire to live godly? Or if we desire to live godly, why do we desire it? And it's, it's good to explore some of these things <coughs> because our hearts are wicked, aren't they? And we don't even know our own hearts sometimes, so we need to think, why am I doing this? Why am I going to church? Why am I being nice on a Sunday and not, not any other day of the week? What is it? <coughs> Why do I desire to be nice on a Sunday and no, no other day on the week? There's something wrong, isn't there? Now, Proverbs speaks of desire. <coughs> and um, there's a proverb, I can't remember the reference, actually, but um, a man who desires his own thing isolates himself. <coughs> and we'll find, actually, that if we desire something else, we'll fall away from the church, we'll isolate ourselves from, from those who really desire the Lord. There'll be a parting of ways at some point. So we need to deal with this desire issue, don't we? So, <coughs> why do people want to appear godly? Well, there is, of course, the praise of men, isn't there? Um, we know in Matthew 6, when when, um, the Lord was going to teach his disciples how to pray, we have that little passage. (coughs) I'll just read it, shall I? Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. The hypocrites. <clears throat> That's what they do. Even if they don't play a trumpet, they sound a trumpet. In the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men, Assuredly, I say to you, they have had their reward. So there's a reward in it. There's a reward, isn't there? If people think you're godly. You're having your reward. <coughs> But when you do a charitable charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, (coughs) you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, that they have their reward. It's a shame, isn't it, if your prayer is to men. That's a shame, isn't it? Because what can men do? Well, they can just say, you're a good prayer. And if you want that, that's fine, but you're not going to get an answer. so we need to be careful, even in our open meetings, we need to be careful that we're led by the Spirit, don't we? Because we can think, and I know, I'm, I'm dragging this out of my own heart, so don't say I'm, I'm not condemning anyone. If you think, oh, that's a good phrase. I'll get lots of amens for that. Pow! Oh, Amen! And I feel good. <coughs> <coughs> that didn't go further than the ceiling. Okay, I got my reward. Okay, I sat down, pleased myself, and um, nothing got done. And... <coughs> This is one reason to appear godly, isn't it? The praise of man. And we've got to be really careful because we do like the praise of men. I mean, I, I know I do. That's why I'm saying it. Okay. And don't, I'm not condemning anyone because, you know, I observe myself in these things. <coughs> the praise of man. Another reason is given by Timothy, by, by Paul himself, writing to Timothy in the first letter, Um, Timothy chapter 6 and it's material gain. Um, He's talking about false teachers who teach imagining that godliness is a means of material gain. And this, I mean, there's the obvious people we can point to, the money preachers, you know, who go on TV and say, give to me and you'll be blessed. Um, Who falls for that? We all do. (laughs) We're as human as anyone else who falls for it. So let's not condemn anyone, um, because it's very difficult. These people are very clever at what they do. Um, And some of them even think they're godly. That's how far it goes. But, also in smaller things, we can You know, we've got to be careful, if, if we're in, in the pay, uh, in being paid for Christian work in any way, um, if we're selling music CDs, all of these things, why are we doing it? Is it are we appearing godly um, so we can gain a profit? And um, actually, these things are quite blurred in our hearts sometimes, and we've got to be really, really careful um, before the Lord in our own hearts, because it's easy for any one of us, slip in these things, okay? It's easy to point to someone else who is obviously doing it, but actually, in our own hearts, um, these things are there. That's why humans do it, because it's in the human heart. So it's in our heart, because we're humans, <laughs> okay? Um, so we've got to be careful. So what is true godliness, then? We need to know this, don't we? So what is it? Okay, so let's turn to 1 Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy has this word godliness in it more times than any other book in the New Testament. In fact, I think if my counting is correct, it has the word godliness in it more times than the rest of the New Testament put together. 1 Timothy. So it was obviously on Paul's heart when he was writing to Timothy. (coughs) Let's just have a look. What is true godliness? Well, I want to go to 1 Timothy, chapter 3, and verse 16. We're going to read verse 16. Then we're going to put it into context a little bit. And without controversy, great is the mystery... Of godliness, so it's a mystery. What is godliness? I don't know, it's a mystery. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So what has one thing got to do with the other in this verse? It's interesting, isn't it? You have the greatest of mysteries talking about the mystery of godliness, and then you have this, which is obviously talking about the Lord Jesus Christ being manifest in the flesh. What is godliness? Well, godliness essentially is a person. Paul here personifies godliness in Christ. So if we want to be godly, We need to be in Christ. How can you be godly without God? So, there we are. Godliness is God. In us. More importantly, God manifests. So, a godly person is someone who manifests God in their life. Great is the mystery of God godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. (coughs) So, what's the context of this verse? Well, Paul is talking to Timothy about um, conduct in the church. He's talking about appointing elders and deacons. (coughs) And So the verse before, (coughs) he says, But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar, and the ground of the truth. So he's talking about the importance of conducting ourselves rightly in the church. And then he talks about godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. So it's important as a body, that we're godly because we're manifesting something of Christ together. It's not just um, individually, but as a body, we need to be manifesting Christ too. Great is the mystery of godliness. Then what does he go on to? <coughs> well, that chapter division, chapter four, Tim, uh, Paul never wrote a big four there, he just carried on writing. Now the Spirit expressly says in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, which you carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little... But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that is now and that is to come. So we have this little passage flanked by two um, words about godliness. So we have a link in godliness from we should be godly in the church, and then this is going to happen in the latter, latter times. Teachers will come in teaching these things, but you train yourself in godliness. Okay, so um, Paul is contrasting godliness to deceiving teachers, to wrong teaching. And what are they saying? Well, (coughs) in this case, they're forbidding to marry, they're commanded to abstain from certain foods, that sort of thing. (coughs) When someone has a religious life, and they know that God's not in it, they have to overcompensate. So, <clears throat> you need to get more further and further into legalism to make it right. Because you know something's not quite right. So, you've got to be better than other people. I mustn't marry. I mustn't marry. That's for the normal people, it's not for me. Okay, now I'm not saying. <laughs> that the Lord doesn't call people to singleness, and he does sometimes. And all the young people are going, no, it's not me. <coughs> the Lord will call you clearly to, to singleness if that's his will for you. But it's certainly not for everyone. It's not for everyone. And we see the, the chaos and the, and the absolute abuse that is wrought in the Catholic Church by this teaching. If you're a minister, if you're a priest, you can't marry. But it's right against Scripture, isn't it? What about what about the, it talks about the elders? They should be, they should be married. Should have, you know, have, a, have one wife. They should be able to, you know, look oversee their family in a way that proves they can oversee the Church. <coughs> How can a man (coughs) prove that he can oversee the church and his family if he can't marry? It's crazy, isn't it? (coughs) Crazy. Forbidding to marry. Not to mention, where's the next generation coming from? Where Where do we get these from? We get this from a desire to earn it, to restrict ourselves to... You know, we're not really godly and we know it in our hearts, so somehow we've got to go that extra mile. (coughs) And abstaining from certain foods... (coughs) Now, I realise that, you know, sometimes we need to leave out certain foods for health reasons. I've got a friend who's got celiac disease um, and so he can't have gluten, otherwise he's in very real danger of getting cancer, you know? But we've got to be careful. Um, We're in a society where food is, you know, everywhere. Food is everywhere, you know. Um, No one's going hungry in the UK at the moment. Um, I mean, I remember I was at a farm, this may be slightly off the beaten track, but I was at the farm a, a few years ago on holiday, and he was saying what kind of... We were looking at the chickens, and all the kids were there, and there was all these chickens. And the farmer was telling us what kind of chicken people used to eat. They'd eat the old chickens that were unproductive. You know, it might be a bit tough. Um, but, you know, you don't eat the one that's given you your eggs. Or you don't eat the young ones who, who you know, um, you eat the, the, t- the old tough ones because you don't need them anymore. Okay? It's hard, but life is hard, isn't it? <coughs> Nowadays, we eat the prime chickens. We are used to the prime chickens all the time, okay? We can go to the shop, and if it's not a prime chicken, we take it back and complain about it, okay? In this society, we have food everywhere. Um, But notice, food and what we eat and restrictions on that is a target of the enemy. Think about, I know a load of young, young people seems to be lots of young girls who turn vegetarian. um, For various reasons. And um, you think, well, the Lord has given us meat to eat. Why are we hard against this? Why is there a, you know, from certain areas in the left, we're hard against meat? Why? Hard against marriage. Society is against marriage. What we eat... And marriage, it's a a target. Why? Well, these two things are basic things of life that the Lord has given us to be thankful for. So, we need to be careful that when we restrict food, that we're not doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, You get me? And we don't measure someone else's godliness by what food they eat. Or our own. We've got to be careful because there are people who, my wife included, who's been delivered out of a... Um, um, out of, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? <laughs> Eating disorder. And if we get all funny about food, this can throw them. So we need to be really careful um, in, on these areas. And it's, it's touching scripture as well. <coughs> Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So these things are given to us to be received with thanksgiving <coughs> who by those who believe and know the truth. So if we're restricting ourselves in these ways, we don't know the truth. We're off. We're off the track a little bit. <coughs> anyway, I'm going off the track. So we had these teachers in the in in the church, and Paul contrasts this teaching to godliness. So he says in verse verse eight. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having um, promise of the life that is now and the life that is to come. So if we go back a verse, it says, reject profane and old wise fables, but exercise yourself towards godliness. So we need to exercise ourselves towards godliness. So how do we do this? What kind of effort do we put in? If we're not putting effort in in terms of restricting ourselves and and a kind of a, um, you know, mustn't marry, mustn't do this, mustn't do that. If we're not putting that kind of effort in, what do we need to do? Well, to train ourselves to godly living is to train our minds on Him. If living godly is God-manifest in us, then we need to get close to Him that he might manifest himself through us. We need to get our minds on him through the day. So, you know, you know how it is, and I've known how this is recently, with kids up during the night, (coughs) and multiple kids. (coughs) Um, The mornings can be carnage, okay? Uh, just Carnage, that's the word. (coughs) And quite honestly, you get out of the house and you've done nothing apart from get yourself out of the house and get yourselves dressed and change nappies and calm this one down and, you know, all of this stuff. And then you realise by mid-morning, I haven't even opened my Bible. I'm not godly. <coughs> but hang on a second. Get your mind on the things above. I, I mean, I, I, I'm in, I get the danger. You write off the day if you miss your quiet time. Okay? But our salvation and our godliness doesn't depend on a quiet time in the morning. It's important in terms of getting close to the Lord, but we mustn't make a law of it. Um, so from that point in the day, you can live godly by getting your mind on him, think of a scripture, you know. but just get that view up. And from that point, you can live godly. I mean, the, um, the vines definition for godliness, this word godliness, is a Godward attitude. A Godward attitude, that's all it is, actually. And if we've got a Godward attitude, we see things from a different point of view. When you're talking to someone, you just say something, and you don't realise you've actually said something from the Lord. But it's because of your Godward attitude. What have you done? You've manifest something of God. In that situation, You've been godly. You've been of God. (coughs) So in in 1 Timothy, actually, Paul uses godliness to contrast from the false teaching. And we see this again in chapter 6. If If we read verses 3 to 6. Now he's been just, Paul has been talking about the attitude of servants to their masters, and masters to servants. Verse three, if anyone teaches other way, otherwise and does not consent with wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife reveling, evil suspicions useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from which such withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain (coughs) and we'll stop there If we rewind to verse 3, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which are called with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. It's interesting, that contrast, isn't it? This person is proud, knowing nothing. <laughs> and um, we've got to be careful with pride, haven't we? Because pride goes beyond what we actually, our own capacity. And that's why... Um, we are heading to destruction if we get proud. Notice, though, that proud, pride and knowledge go together. Um, Knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. Now, in some versions it says, he is proud, understanding nothing. So that word knowledge can also mean understanding. So you can have a lot of knowledge, Bible knowledge or whatever, and you can become proud but have no understanding. (coughs) Um, That's why in in 2 Peter, you have this list of things to add to your faith, don't you add to your faith? um, Virtue, knowledge, self-control. So you have virtue, so you want to do the right thing, then you get the knowledge, so you go around telling everyone what the right thing is because you've got the knowledge, you've got to add some self-control to that, um, because otherwise you can cause cause some harm. Do you understand the... the, uh, godliness, uh, by the way, is in that list as well. So, um, to self-control, we add endurance. It's quite easy to be self-controlled for a day, not for six months or a year. That takes endurance. And when you're enduring trouble, It's very difficult not to be pulled down, so we need godliness. And godliness is added to that in that list in 2 Peter. It's good to study the relationship between those things in 2 Peter. If you have some time, do that. (coughs) Anyway, we need to be careful with our knowledge um, that we don't become proud, but have no understanding. We may have knowledge, but no understanding. (coughs) We may be right, but not godly. We may be wrong and godly. (coughs) If we're wrong, if we have a godly attitude, it won't cause too much harm. (laughs) And when we're put right, we'll take it. If we're right without being godly, even though we're right, we can cause harm. Do you understand? So actually, it's more important to be godly. It's more important to have that Godward attitude and manifest something of God in our relationships as we talk to people, as we go about, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> godliness. So, what benefit has godliness got for us? Because Paul's not selling it to us. He's telling us, if, um, if you're going to be godly, if you want to be godly, you're going to be persecuted. So Why? Why do it? (coughs) Well, we've just had it here, haven't we? Exercise of the body benefits a little bit. But godliness benefits for this life and the next. Okay, so you have benefits for this life and you're putting away money for your life to come as well. So, what am I going to spend my time doing? Go, the, go to the gym and build up my muscles, because I can see them now, and other people can see them now. <coughs> or, am I going to train my mind on him, which no one can see? But it has benefit for me and my relationships with other people. And, has been, I'm building up treasure in heaven also. What are we going to do? <coughs> now, I'm not saying don't go to the gym, but let's not get obsessed by earthly things. Um, these things can take up our whole whole being. You know Oscar Peterson, the jazz pianist, used to play piano 12 hours a day. He was on the piano 12 hours a day. He's dead now. (coughs) We can enjoy the recordings, but it's no good to him, is it? (coughs) Can't play the piano in hell, can you? (coughs) Let's move on. So, we've already seen that we need to be in Christ. In Christ. To Timothy. Back to 2 Timothy. And chapter 3. And verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus... I'm the vine, you're the branches. We can be godly in Christ Jesus because he is God. (coughs) He is divine, you are the branches. To quote um, Keith Green. (laughs) if You've heard that song, it's quite funny. Um, (coughs) He is divine, you are the branches. Let's move on. Will be persecuted those who desire to live godly, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Why? Because if we're manifesting Christ, that's the problem. That's the problem. Now that word persecuted means pursued, harried. Now they went after Christ, they didn't give up, even when he did great miracles. They didn't believe him, they went after him. Even when he raised Lazarus from the dead, they got even worse, they started to plot to kill him. These things didn't matter to them. They were pursuing him, they were after him. And this is the spirit. This is the Antichrist spirit. So, when we really get into persecution, friends, these people are not going to play fair. We're going to be harried and pursued. (coughs) <coughs> because of Christ. If we're really godly, it's because of Christ. It's not anything we've done, because they, they hate Christ. <coughs> the enemy hates Christ. If we're really godly, that's going to be something of the price. But also remember, Psalm 23, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now, that word in the Hebrew means pursue. So, that's the flip side. We may be pursued by the enemy, but also, surely, goodness and mercy will pursue us. Even in those situations, the Lord will be there. So, we don't need to worry. But we can trust in him. (coughs) So, Do you still desire to live godly? In Christ. Then, set your minds on the things above. That's how we train ourselves in these things. And the Lord will manifest himself through us if our mind is on him. Amen. (coughs)